chapter twenty four of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain roman and sabine geoffrey was not to be balked of his purpose he sat till long after midnight in the music-room with his mother sat or roamed about in the ample spaces of that fine apartment talking in his own wild way with that restless fitful romanticism which had marked him from childhood from the dim hours so vaguely remembered and so sadly sweet in his memory when he had sat on the floor with his head leaning against the soft silken folds of her gown and had been moved to tears by her playing there were simple turns of melody almost automatic phrases of mozart's which recalled the vague heartache of those childish hours an idea of music so interwoven with that other idea of summer twilight in a spacious shadowy room that it startled him to hear one of those familiar movements in the broad glare of day as if daylight and that music were irreconcilable no arguments of his mother's could shake his purpose i will see her and talk with her she alone shall be the judge of what is right perhaps when i am sure of her i may be able to teach myself patience but i must be sure of her love he was at bournemouth by the first train that would carry him there and it was still early when he went roaming out towards branksome and the borderland of dorset to walk suited better with his impatience than to be driven by a possibly stupid flyman and to have the fly pulled up every five minutes for the stupid flyman to interrogate a probably more stupid pedestrian who would inevitably prove a stranger in these parts as if the inhabitants never walked abroad no he would find rosencrantz mrs tolmash's villa for himself he had been told it was near branksome chine swift of foot and keen of apprehension he succeeded in less time than any flyman would have done yes this was the villa red brick gabled curtained with virginia creeper from chimneys downwards virginia creeper not yet touched by autumn's ruddy fingers and with roses enough in the well-kept garden to justify the name which fancy had given he opened the light iron gate and went into the garden a somewhat spacious garden she was there perhaps at any rate he would explore before confronting servant drawing-room and unknown lady of the house the garden was so pretty and the morning was so fine that if within the precincts surely she would be in the garden he went boldly round the house by a shrubberied walk and saw a fine lawn on a breezy height above the chine facing the sunlit sea and the wooded dip that went down to golden sands the standard rose-trees were blown about in the fresh morning air dropping a rain of pink and yellow on the smooth short turf he saw the sea westward sapphire blue through an arch of reddest roses and beyond that archway close to the edge of the cliff as it seemed in the perspective there was a bench with a red and white awning and sitting under that awning a figure in a white frock a slender waist a graceful throat a small dark head which he would have known from a thousand girlish heads and throats and waists for him the girl of girls he knew that restless foot lightly tapping the grass as she looked seaward was there not weariness of life rebellion against fate in that quick movement of the slender foot 
she was waiting for happiness and for him he ran to her sat down by her side had taken both her hands in his before she could utter so much as a cry of surprise my darling my darling he murmured now and for ever my own she snatched her hands away and started to her feet indignantly anger flashed in the dark eyes and flushed the pale olive cheeks and then her frown changed to an ironical smile and she stood looking at him almost contemptuously i think you forget mr warnock that it is a long time since the romans ran away with the sabines you mean that i am too impetuous i mean that you are too absurd is it absurd to love the sweetest woman in the world the prettiest the most enchanting suzette i tore back from the hart's mountains because i was told you were free free to wed the man who loves you with all the passion of his soul when i told you of my love months ago you were bound to another man you were resolutely bent upon keeping your promise to him i had no option but to withdraw to fight my battle and try to live without you i did try suzette i left the ground clear for my rival i was self-banished from my own home you need not have been banished i could have kept away from discombe that would have distressed my mother whose happiness depends on your society suzette you know how she loves you to see you my wife will make her very happy she has taken you to her heart as a daughter not so much as she has taken alan carew to her heart it was for his sake she liked me i could see when we parted that it was of alan she thought it was for him she was sorry i don't think she will ever forgive me for making alan unhappy not if her only son's happiness is bought with that price suzette why do you keep me at arm's length now when there is nothing to part us now while i know that you love me you have no right to say that if you know it you know more than i know myself suzette suzette do you deny your love she was crying with her hands over her averted face he tried to draw those hands away eager to look into her eyes he would not believe mere words only in her eyes could he read the truth i deny your right to question me now while my heart is aching for alan alan whom i like and respect more than any man living he is the best friend i have in the world after my father he ever will be my cherished and trusted friend if in some great unhappiness i needed any other friend than my father badly wickedly as i have behaved to him it is to alan i would go for help what not to me to you no more than i would appeal to a whirlwind you think me so unreasonable a creature yes unreasonable it is unreasonable in you to come here to-day you must know that i am sorry for having behaved so badly deeply sorry for alan's disappointment i begin to think it is a pity you disappointed him if nobody is to profit by your release oh forgive me forgive me i should have killed myself if you had persisted at least you have saved a life i hope you are glad of that i cannot talk to you while you are so foolish is it foolish to tell you the truth i bear my heart to you to the woman i want for my wife i am a creature full of faults but for you i could become anything i would be as wax and you should mould me into whatever image you would oh suzette is not love enough is it not enough for any woman to be loved as i love you 
you cannot love me better than alan did though he never talked as wildly as you alan it is not in his nature to love or to suffer as i do he was not born under the same burning star all the forces of nature were at war when i was born suzette my swiss nurse told me of the tempest that was lashing the lake and roaring over the wilderness of peaks and crags when i came into the world with something of that storm in my heart and brain be my good genius suzette save me from my darker stormier self make and mould me into an amiable order-loving english gentleman i am your slave you have but to order me and i shall submit as meekly as the trained dog who lies down at his mistress's feet and shams the stillness of death tell me to fetch and carry tell me to die i will do your bidding like that dog she gave a troubled sigh and looked at him pale and perplexed in deep distress his pleading moved her as no words of alan's had ever done and yet there was more of fear than of love in the emotion that he awakened i have only one thing in the world to ask of you she said in a low agitated voice i ask you to leave me to myself i came here almost among strangers in order that i might be calm and quiet and away from the associations of the past year you must forgive me mr warnock if i say that it was cruel of you to follow me here cruel for passionate love to follow the beloved mr warnock too how formal suzette if you do not love me if i am nothing to you why did you jilt carew i asked him to release me because i felt i did not love him well enough to be his wife only that only that as time went on i felt more and more acutely that i could not give him love for love and you cared for no one else there was no other reason he insisted trying to take her hand i have hardly asked myself that question and i will not be questioned by you she rose and moved away he following mr warnock i am going into the house i beg you not to persecute me it was persecution to come here to-day give me hope i cannot leave you without hope i can say nothing more than i have said my heart is sore for alan alan is first in my thoughts and must be for a long time i hate myself for having behaved so badly to him and what of your behaviour to me how cold how cruel oh thank heaven here comes mrs tolmash and her daughter now you must go geoffrey looked round and saw a middle-aged lady in a chair being wheeled across the lawn a girl in a pink frock pushing her chair he gave suzette a despairing look picked up his hat from the grass and walked quickly away he was in no mood to make the acquaintance of the pink frock or the lady in the chair though that plump benevolent person with neat little grey curls clustering round a fair forehead looked quite capable of asking him to luncheon he walked back to the nearest station angry beyond measure and paced the platform for an hour waiting for the train for eastleigh and with half a mind to throw himself under the first express that came shrieking by yet that were basest surrender she is possessed by a devil of obstinacy he told himself but the stronger devil within me shall master her while the more fiery and arrogant of suzette's lovers was raging against her coldness resolved to bear down all opposing forces to ride roughshod over every obstacle her gentler and more conscientious lover was hiding his grief in the quiet of that level and unromantic land on which his eyes had first opened 
no tempest had raged when allan was born he had entered life amidst no grandeurs of mountain and glacier arrested avalanche and flashing torrent an english home english to intensity had been his cradle a mild even-tempered mother a father in whom a gentle melancholy was the prevailing characteristic growing up under such home influences allan carew had something of womanly gentleness interwoven with the strong fibre of a fine manly nature he had the womanly capacity to suffer in silence to submit to fate and to take a very humble place at the banquet of life well he was not destined to be happy she had never loved him never he had won her by sheer persistency he had imposed upon her yielding nature upon the amiability which makes it so hard for some women to say no she had always been friendly and kind and sweet but the signs and tokens of passionate love had been wanting if she would have been content to marry him upon those friendly terms content to forego the glamour of romantic love all might have been well love would have followed marriage in the quiet years of a wedded life the watchful kindnesses of an adoring husband must have won her heart yes but for geoffrey warnock's appearance on the scene all might have been well suzette would have married allan and the years would have made liking love geoffrey's was the fatal influence contrast with that fiery nature had made allan seem a dullard this is what the forsaken lover told himself as he roamed about the autumn fields the fertile levels where all the soil he trod on was his own and had belonged to his ancestors when the clank of armed feet was still a common thing in the land and a stout suffolk pad was your swiftest mode of travel the shooting had begun and the houses of suffolk were full of guests and the squires of suffolk had mustered their guns and were doing their best to beat the record of last year and all the years that were gone but allan had no heart for so much as a morning tramp across the stubble the flavour and the freshness were gone out of life he gave his shooting to a neighbour an old friend of his father's while his own days were dawdled away in the library or spent in long walks by stream and mill-race pine-wood and common in any direction that offered the best chance of solitude he wrote to suzette with grave kindness apologising for his angry vehemence in the hour of their parting he expatiated sorrowfully upon that which might have been i think i must have known all along that you had no romantic love for me he wrote but i would have been more than content to have your liking in exchange for my passionate love i should not have thought myself a loser had you put the case in the plainest words you idolize me and i well i think you an estimable young man and i have no objection to be your idol accepting your devotion and giving you a sisterly regard in exchange there are men who would think that a bad bargain but i am not made of such proud stuff your friendship would have been more precious to me than any other woman's love and i should have been happy infinitely happy could i have won you on those terms but it was not to be and now my heart turns cold every time the post-bag is opened lest it should hold the letter that will tell me geoffrey warnock has won the prize that i have lost such things must be suzette they are happening every day and hearts are breaking quietly may you be happy 
my dear lost love whatever i may be much as he might desire solitude it was impossible for alan to escape his fellow-man through the month of september in such a happy shooting-ground as that in which his property lay in that part of suffolk people knew of hunting as a barbarous form of sport somewhat affected in the midlands and a fox was considered a beast of prey the guns had it all their own way in those woods which alan's great-grandfather had planted and over the turnips which alan's tenants had sown among the shooters who were profiting by his hospitality it was inevitable that he should meet some one he knew and that some one happened to be a man with whom he had been on the friendliest terms five years before during a big shoot in the neighbourhood they met at a dinner at the house of the jovial squire to whom alan had given his shooting a five-mile drive from fendyke lady emily had persuaded her son to accept the invitation his father had been dead six months though she the widow would go nowhere it might seem churlish in the son to hold himself aloof from old friends and you don't want to be wearing the willow for that shallow-hearted girl i hope added lady emily who was very angry with suzette no he did not want to wear the willow to pose as a victim so he accepted mr meadowbank's invitation it was to be only a friendly dinner only the house party and among the house party alan found his old acquaintance cecil patrington a man who had spent the best years of his life in africa and had won renown among sportsmen as a hunter of big game a weather-beaten athlete brawny strong of limb with bronze forehead and copper-coloured neck i think you were just back from bequana land when we last met said alan in the unreserve of squire meadowbank's luxurious smoke-room and you were going back to the cape when the shooting was over have you been in africa ever since yes i have been moving about most of the time here and there mostly in central south africa between brazzaville and tabora now on one side of the lake now on the other which lake tanganyika it's a delightful district only it's getting a deuced deal too well known burton was a glorious fellow and he had a glorious career no man can ever enjoy life in africa like that there are steamers on the lake now and one meets babies and perambulators genuine british babies with a profound sigh i've looked for a record of your exploits at the geographical oh i don't go in for that kind of thing you see i read a paper once and it didn't pay i am not a literary cove like burton and i haven't the gift of the gab like stanley who is a literary cove too by the way i ain't a scientific explorer i don't care a hang what becomes of the water don't you know i like the lakes for their own sake and the niggers for their own sake and the picturesqueness of it all and the variety and the danger of it all if i discovered a new lake or an unknown forest i should keep the secret to myself that's my view of africa i ain't a geographer i ain't a missionary i ain't a trader i like africa because it's jolly and because there ain't any other place in the world worth living in to the man who has once been there shall you ever go again shall i ever mr patrington laughed at the question i sail for zanzibar next november do you said alan i should like to go with you why not asked mr patrington End of chapter twenty four